thank goodness we got that trap door secured. You may have heard that noise previously. Anyway, welcome. Yes, especially to the... with the. <laughs> no, perfect. Keep going. Well, you started talking. <laughs> welcome to the Black Magic Treehouse, where it's always October, except for today when it's actually October. Um. Oh, actually, the intro that I was going to use, I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Welcome to yeah, Black yeah, Magic Treehouse, the podcast where we discuss the horror media we consumed as children that hollowed our weens. My name is Eric, and with me is my illustrious co-host, Jose. Hi, Jose. Hi. I like the first one better. <laughs> I would say that I'm not even trying with those intros anymore, but to be honest, I, I don't know that I was ever trying. But I think that's the fun well, of them. the first step is honesty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we just kind of come up with them on the fly just to get them over with. So, uh... So, Eric, um... Hey. You, you made mention... Yeah, hey, hi. Uh, you made mention just now that... Uh, we mainly talk about on this show the horror media that we consumed as kids, but today's topic, I think, is actually from the more recent past. Is that not correct? Uh, uh, sure. Why don't you just micromanage everything I say? I don't want to say that that was micromanaging so much as being an, an attentive listener and uh, a good wingman kind of calling back to something you you said you're welcome must sure, be those improv skills it. paying off um so here's the yep. story uh ever since we started this podcast i would go to the thrift store with my girlfriend and uh there's two things i look for when i go there um one of them is old film cameras and the other is uh children's horror books i always go over to the section Oftentimes they're mixed in with the YA, which is annoying, but, um, and I actually found some, cause I said before on this podcast that I, it's difficult for me to imagine if like anthology horror series in the vein of goosebumps could succeed today, because I think, um, the literary trend started by Harry Potter and continuing through, I don't know, anything genre is to have like lore that you build on book after book. But I think I found a series that is relatively recent that uh, is indeed an anthology horror series. Um, Jose, you're you're more in touch with the youth. <laughs> well, because of your job, I should specify. Yeah, please, thank you. <laughs> you you are surrounded by the <laughs> the um, delightful laughter of wow it's getting worse of, of little tykes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so, so uh yeah to clarify what eric's saying i work as an elementary school media specialist <laughs> and so yes the the literature of the now with regards to our youngest readers is is something that i try to keep abreast of as as best as i can professionally Abreast. Abreast, yes. I regretted that as soon as I said it. So have you heard of um, this series, the uh, issue, well, the, I don't know, entry 
of which we are talking about is the fifth in the series was published in 2012 is called Creepover. Is that anything you had any former knowledge of? Uh, a little bit because I did see some of those at the public library where I worked prior to working at the elementary school. Um, I'm not sure like if the official title is you're invited to a creepover or that's just kind of like the catchy tagline on the front or if it is just simply creepover. But in any case, yeah, the creepover series, I, I just kind of saw them in passing and I gleaned from looking at the handful of them that, okay, this is an anthology horror series. Uh, like my beloved Goosebumps and all the others from my own youth. And uh, they appear to be ghost-ridden uh, by one or several authors because each book bears the pen name P.J. Knight, which I find very delightful as far as uh, pen names for children's horror authors go. Um, of course, I'm thinking back to... Things like, and I didn't have any uh, exposure to this series. This is just something I've learned of in later years, especially in doing this podcast. The uh, Graveyard School series by Tom B. Stone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got to admit, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, there's there's a handful of others um, that uh, I can't remember, but Tom B. Stone does come to mind. So PJ Knight, I feel like, is is cute and kind of... Not as aggressively jokey, uh, I don't think anyway, not as aggress aggressively jokey as a Tom B. Stone kind of feeling or, you know, uh, I'm thinking of like Paul Bearer from uh, the wrestling, the wrestling world, Undertaker's little toady, Paul Bearer. Is that a real person? Uh, or did you just make that no, up? No, I did not make it up. It's a character from you know the oh. wwe world right. yeah no seriously we just watched <laughs> videos of undertaker intros and yeah paul bearer was like his uh his straight man i guess you'd say <laughs> yeah so uh now does he also wrestle or no he's he's just a he's just a character who comes out in his little mortician you know suit and tie and, uh, mm. you know, he basically looks like, he basically looks like a, um, a horror host of old, like this is uh, a rotund gentleman, mustachioed rotund gentleman who looks like during the day he forecasts the weather on the local news station. And then at night he puts on the vampire cape and he's like, doctor, suck your face off, uh, or whatever clever name he goes by while he's introducing horror movies. That's kind of Paul Bearer's vibe. All right. I didn't know that was a thing in wrestling, that you just had a guy who didn't do anything. Yeah, like a handler, um, just just for kicks. And I don't know how prevalent it is. My, my wife is, believe it or not, more the uh, pro wrestling fan than I am, so I don't know how common that kind of thing is, uh, either then or now. But uh, yeah, uh, at the very least, he existed at one point in time. Do you remember when they did that, like, I don't know if you call it a stunt, but there was like some plot point where Vince McMahon's uh, limo got blown up and like people <laughs> were like, oh my God, he's dead for real. <laughs> and I was like, come on, professional wrestling fans. Uh, 
You have to be smarter than this if you want people to take this seriously. It's an art. Also, this guy just got killed on primetime TV. Um, which, you know, sad as it is, that is something that's, that has unfortunately happened um, in some cases. But anywho, um, yeah, so this book. Creepover number, number nine. nine. What's it called? You're invited to a creepover. And I want you to know, Jose, this is a story so scary, it broke the creepometer. I saw that. That's really charming. Given that this is the first of our two Halloween episodes we'll be dropping in the month of October, um, I pretty much chose this book knowing absolutely nothing about it except that the title is No Trick-or-Treating Super Scary Super Special. I didn't realize it was a super scary super special. Hey, well, I guess it wasn't then, <laughs> since you read it and all. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just a reg. It was just a regular ass book to me. <laughs> and the cover is—I um, really like the illustration style. Uh, it's like a little cartoon, like not anime, but just like very deliberately cartoonish. Where these, I don't know, preteen girls—I think they are—are are like rendered like they're dolls, kind mm-hmm. of. And it's portraying a moment in the story where they're at this sleepover playing um, light as a feather, stiff as a board. And you can see the one who's dressed as a a bride is floating. And you can see through her white dress to the hands underneath her that are uh, holding her up with their fingertips. Yeah, the the illustration style is pretty interesting um, for this type of book, I feel like. Especially from... uh... You know, I feel like this is something that maybe you see from from a smaller publishing house, but this is Simon and Schuster, and um, yeah, the vibe almost kind of makes me think of. Uh, this is probably inaccurate, but kind of like, um, oh, what would you call it? Um, spray paint art, like something you'd see on the side of a van. Yeah, like would you say very that's... like airbrushed looking? Yeah, yeah. But in kind of a grungy way, um, as opposed to when you know you hear airbrushed or whatnot, you think kind of like perfect and uh, you know precisely rendered. But there's yeah, like I, I really like your comparison to dolls. They really do look like these little doll people, yet they're meant to represent human characters. And uh, just in case you're wondering which creepometer this book breaks. Um... You can see it on the back. It says, uh, Creepometer. One, sleep like a baby. Two, sleep with one eye open. Three, hide under the covers. Four, sleep with the lights on. And of course, because this story broke the Creepometer, the needle is all the way past four into the Forbidden Zone. Um, And I guess I'll go ahead and read the back of the book. Here we go. What's being kept hidden in Heaton Corners? City girl Ashley McDowell is beginning to adjust to her new life in a small farm town when she starts making plans for Halloween. She is shocked to find that no one in Heaton Corners celebrates it. Ashley is determined not to let that stop her, so she convinces her friends to join her and go trick-or-treating for the first time. But Ashley soon discovers that there's a reason why Heaton Corners doesn't do Halloween. A reason so haunting so terrifying that Ashley will never be the same. 
which is true. There's nothing lying about that synopsis. Yeah, and um, also I appreciated how, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, this has not been the norm in previous episodes of the podcast, but Eric and I have actually both read this book, so we are both abreast. Yeah, hey, how about that? We are both abreast of all the events that transpire in uh, this, this fun little middle grade chapter book. Um, it's a historic occasion. So what the hell? Yeah, it is. I was going to say, what the hell was I saying? Oh, yeah, I was going to say that I appreciate not only that the synopsis on the back cover of the book is accurate, but the artwork rendered on the front accurately depicts a moment that takes place in the story. How about that? Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Um, so when I first picked this book up, like I said, I didn't. I wasn't sure it was an anthology series. So my assumption was because this is on the back, it says it's about a girl who just moved to this town. So I was like, I wonder if every book, maybe it's about different, like Fear Street, basically, like, is it take place in the same neighborhood? And you'll see like the same characters crop up in different stories, but everyone has a different protagonist. Um, But based on the little preview they give you in the back, of the next book in the series, which is called It's All Downhill From Here. I don't think that's the case. I think everyone takes place in a different setting. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about this series that I gleaned um, back when I was kind of combing through the handful that I saw at the public library is that even though this is an anthology series, it seems like (laughs) the thematic link between all these diverse stories is that they each have a sleepover. I was wondering if that was the being, case. <laughs> and then, and it's, I think it is, which is really strange. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a terrible idea, I guess, but um, super specific, I feel like. And, you know, kind of, um, you know, if you're kind of hoping to, to build a readership uh, or to build fans of this series, you know, I just, I can't help but wonder, like, how, how does one feel going one from one book to the other in this series, just knowing <laughs> without a doubt that, oh, we're meeting these characters, these motherfuckers are about to have a sleepover. I know it. I can just feel it. <laughs> I was wondering when I got to the sleepover in the book, I was like, is this series called Creepover because every single book has a sleepover? Oh, man. I think it does. You know what? Kudos to you, PJ Knight. I know, right? I I mean, interesting challenge. Yeah, really. Um, Interesting challenge to uh, Gauntlet to throw your your authors. It's It's like, hey, you do something different with a sleepover. I dare you. I think it's a good choice, though, because that is like one of the rites of passage of being a preteen and like a lot of for a lot of I think especially I don't want a gender stereotype. I think especially for young girls, that's like the on the entry into like horror movies and horror uh, interest is like telling stories at a sleepover or watching, you know, renting. Um, in my day, it was probably like Final Destination. I think now it's like The Purge. I feel like every generation has like a, you know, R-rated horror movie franchise like that's kind of specifically geared towards like preteens. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, well, you bring up a good point there about, um, 
you know, this series possibly, to my eyes it is, it is kind of marketed to a young female readership. And I say that too because from what I could tell from the other covers and uh, synopses that I read, it do, they do, all the books do seem to involve a group of girls getting together for a sleepover. And that kind of raised an interesting question in my mind, um, just to kind of touch on our own personal experience of, um, you know, not being young females uh, previously in our past. I, I was curious, just as far as the concept of a sleepover is concerned, like what, what, what is your, what is your history, a thumbnail of sleepovers? Did you do them? often as a kid if you did like were they with family was it with friends like what what did your sleepover history look like uh oh it's an interesting question that you say about family um because Mm. we all slept in the same bed uh willy wonka or charlie bucket style (laughs) just kidding um (laughs) yeah no because we had my sister and i my sister's a year older than me um and we have cousins our age so when we were like junior high, somewhat into high school, most mostly junior high, because in high school, everybody started, you know, getting jobs and stuff. So it, it was harder to coordinate, but they lived in Texas and we lived in Illinois. So uh, every summer we would fly down to Texas and spend two weeks with their family. And then they would fly back to Illinois um, and spend two weeks with us. And it was kind of just like a big sleepover, like talking until you fell asleep or (laughs) the one that I remembered. Speaking of thrift stores, I sent a picture to my sister the other day because I saw a VHS of the Tom Green show and I sent her a photo and she was like, ha ha, I've never watched that. And I was like, what? I sent this to you because we had that day when Emily and Sarah were visiting us and we spent like a whole night like shotgunning the Tom Green show. You don't remember the slut mobile? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there was also with friends. I never did like a group sleepover. Um, again, if I'm stereotyping, I think I feel like girls do like big party sleepovers. Um, but I would usually just have like a single friend over and we would like just play action figures or video games or whatever. Uh, but I think that cut off, you know, because of toxic masculinity <laughs> and, um, you know, Damn it, heteronormative culture. Yeah. I think it was like, you didn't want to be caught having a sleepover with another boy past the age of like, I don't know, 12 or whatever. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way it was, uh, when I was a kid, but I think I was also getting tired of my best male friend at around that time too. So maybe that was also partially it. It's funny you say that last line. Um, I'll come back to that about getting tired of your friend. Uh, For my part. Oh, he's about to end the podcast. (laughs) Much in the same way that the doctor ended the life of that poor boy from uh, from (laughs) Uncovered. Oh, it'll it'll, it'll just be a few more moments. Tears falling on the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anywho, uh, my sleepovers as a kid were predominantly with um, family members. And by that, I mean my maternal grandmother and grandfather. Uh, Those are some of my core memories, as the kids say, uh, sleeping over at their house, you know, Friday nights into Saturday. Uh, The Friday nights... 
you know, would usually be a McDonald's run followed, well, maybe not in that order, but a McDonald's run uh, along with a Blockbuster run. And I mean, it was just the best. It's the best feeling in the world being with your grandparents, eating a Happy Meal and watching some movie that you picked up from the video store. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Uh, You know, other nights, uh, you know, I'd have like liverwurst sandwiches with them in the kitchen. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hey, it's an acquired taste, but they were old. They liked it. They gave it to me. So I'm like, this is pretty cool. It's not bad with mustard. Um but those those were my main sleepover memories. That's uh, I think uh, as we discussed in a previous episode, that was how the whole freaky stories slash Fox Family Channel incident occurred. It was when you know it was a Saturday that I had slept over there, and it just sprung up on the TV out of the blue. Um, I also remember watching Oh Yeah cartoons a lot at their house. Um, yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, cartoons. Um, yeah, I remember uh, having a sleepover with my friend. This is, we moved when I was nine. So I had like my pre-move friends and my post-move friends. Um, but my pre-move friend, I remember having a sleepover there and watching like the first episode of the Powerpuff Girls on Oh Yeah Cartoons and being like, what is this? Because it was not one of their, the villain was like that hillbilly, uh, what oh. was he even? Not a bear. Yeah. Do you remember this guy? It was a guy in like the, overalls. Like the little, like some yeah, kind the of anthropomorphic top hat, like the purple bear, like with the top hat or a straw hat or something. I think something like that, or like a yeah. But I was like, this is a weird show. What are we watching? Yeah, that was the end of that story. But anywho, um, yes, yes, it was. I, I, I figured that out eventually. Um, so how so did the, you? Those that was like. That was the brunt of my uh, sleepover experience. The one non-family sleepover experience that I remember and the one experience that I think I had was, I believe, second grade. I went to sleepover at, uh, at the time, my best friend's house. One reason I think we were f- good, good friends was because we had the same initials, so we were like right next to each other in line. Oh, and Jesus Christ, you know, sometimes, it, yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ, he's all of our friends. Yeah, it was a great sleepover, um, but no, no, his name was John, um, John the Baptist. Uh, just kidding again. Uh, his name was John, and I slept over at his place. And I think that's a game, the sleeping over at another family's house, that's a game that is just meant for kids of a certain constitution. And I did not possess that constitution then, and perhaps now, (laughs) in the sense that I was just too weirded out being somewhere that my family was not, and, you know, being in a sense, unsupervised by my own family, which I guess speaks to my codependency <laughs> that I had as a kid uh, and for quite a stretch of my youth. Um, and I just remember that, like, you know, you're eating somebody else's dinner and it's like, oh, this is not the same way we make it or this is just not something we eat at all. It was just lots of that kind of stuff. 
you know, just kind of coming to grips with the fact that, oh, there are other people in this thing called life, and they're not just like cardboard cutouts that surround me, the the main player of uh, of this drama, and they have their own ways of doing things and their own interests, and this is really hard for me to swallow right now. And I just remember, I think we watched uh, Small Soldiers that night. Um, and the next morning, I was just so, and and I, I was so weirded out by the experience that I remember John and I sitting on the couch, you know, just talking, and I was like full of these feelings. <laughs> Uh, I was full of, full of these feelings of like grief and confusion, and I, I just had it in my mind that I have like I have crossed a point of no return. I have entered this person's house. I have to like be friends with them forever now. Like I feel like <laughs> I've signed some kind of social contract that I wasn't prepared for. And I have to, like, love his family as much as I love my family. And I'm not ready for this. And so, like, as we were sitting there, you know, I just, like, broke out. And I told him, John, I don't know if I could be your friend anymore. <laughs> it's so it's so terrible for me to admit that. Um, and I, like, broke his heart. He, like... He started getting upset. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I, this is just too much for me. I don't, I don't think we can be friends anymore. We're from two different worlds, John. Yeah. We're two. Well, this, this week, this can't work out. This thing we got going on. I've, I've seen, I've seen what you're, your baking dishes look like when they have lasagna <laughs> in them. And I can't unsee that, John. I've seen what your backyard looks like. And that's that's just not what my backyard looks like. And <laughs> I, I don't know how to reconcile those two facts in my little m- elementary mind right now. And uh, dear listener, I told John that I don't, I didn't think we could be friends after that day. And if I'm being honest and if my memory is not deceiving me, I kind of feel like we did start growing apart after that. Because, um, I mean, how can you, yeah, as traumatizing as what I quote unquote experienced, you know, I mean, how much more traumatizing was it for John to sit there and just have me dump him for inexplicable and probably unexplained reasons? So, John, if you're out there, I'm sorry. And uh, I will never forget that. <laughs> I, I hope you have, <laughs> but I will never forget it. Man, that is pretty rough. I've, I don't think I've ever been on that side of the <laughs> friendship dumping grounds. Oh, really? You, uh, you've, you've been John, you're saying? Speaking of being codependent, yeah, I think I was very... I think I stayed too long in a lot of friendships that I should have gotten out of when people were not treating me right. Um, my The one guy that I had sleepovers with post-move was named Mike. Um, and th- we had a bit of a checkered history because <laughs> it was, he was my best friend when we moved there, but he was always very, uh, conscientious about reminding me that I was not his best friend. His best friend was this kid named Ricky from before he moved to Lakewood Falls. 
So there was always a power imbalance that I, I was always struggling to surmount. I was like, look, I watch, he's the friend that I talked about on the episode where we we're talking about why we'll never do a Godzilla episode. Um, he was the friend who was obsessed with Godzilla. And I was like, I'll, I'll watch the Godzilla movies with you. I'll sit here and page through the Godzilla magazine you subscribe to. And then I met Ricky. He would come over and be like, Godzilla's dumb. You'll never get a girlfriend, Michael. And I was like, why do you prefer this guy to me? <laughs> so I think I, growing apart, you know, speaking of growing apart, I think I became very resentful and like didn't leave him as a friend, but just got a lot shittier to him over the years. Like, will this make you like me? You fucking asshole. Perfect. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, perfect. Wow. Um isn't it interesting growing up? Wow, what a wild ride. Um Oh, but also I gotta say, returning to Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. What you're what I was thinking about when you're talking about how it's weird to go over to somebody else's house and see like they do things differently and it's like a culture shock. Um Michael's family ate dinner at like five o'clock which was so weird to me because at my house, we always ate my dad, like, I don't know why, but for some reason, my dad, like never got home from work until like, you know, eight o'clock at night. So eating when the sun was up was like, this is a weird experience. Is this supposed to last me until I wake up in the morning? Um, and Michael, Michael had to ask if he could be excused from the table. And I did not at my house so that was super awkward sitting there michael would be like can i be excused and i would just be looking at everybody like am i supposed to ask if i can be excused i'm not their kid so, yeah exactly i'm just a guest so can't i should so, be able to do whatever i want yeah michael would get up and then i would just kind of like moonwalk out of there peace thanks for the meal <laughs> oh wow yeah that i mean that is a culture shock um i gotta say though uh as far as no trick-or-treating is concerned i when it came to those handful of chapters where the the sleepover or the creepover was taking place um so to provide you know we to provide a really quick thumbnail, I mean, Eric already did with the back synopsis. Um, so the, there's a new girl in town, Ashley, to Heaton Corners um, in Georgia, I presume, because uh, they mentioned moving from the big city of Atlanta. I was curious. I was going to ask you, did they ever say yeah. what state Heaton Corners was in? They didn't. I just presume... Well, they didn't say specifically that it was in Georgia, but Ashley, our protagonist, her sister has gone away to college in Chicago, and I feel like at some point she makes mention of the distance yeah. between them. And yeah, I feel like it, it was equitable to you know her basically saying, "Oh yeah, you moved so far away, you know, from Atlanta, and and, and now from us." So I feel like yeah, it's it's somewhere in the state of Georgia. Who knows? Maybe Heaton Corners is a real place. Maybe it's not. We're not looking it up. Um, but anywho, uh, she's new to town. But unlike how might you expect that plot point to develop, she's not the uh, source of derision from her classmates or ostracization. 
um, she's actually welcomed with open arms and uh, everybody in this rural com community actually thinks she's really cool. Um, so she quickly uh, develops a group of friends, three girls, Danielle, Stephanie, and Mary Beth. And Ashley has a birthday, which is on Halloween, and she just so happens to love Halloween. But, dun-dun-dun, Halloween is not celebrated in any fashion in Heaton Corners, and they have a definite strict rule that nobody is to go out trick-or-treating on that fateful night. So, that bums Ashley out. But she conspires with her friends, who have not really had a proper Halloween experience. She says, I'll invite you over for like a, a sleepover birthday party, but we're going to use that as a pretense to get dressed up in like our scariest, you know, most ghoulish outfits, and then we will sneak out and go trick-or-treating, and won't it be a blast? Um, so that's the premise of the sleepover or the creepover. And I gotta say, during, um, those, those passages, those chapters where Ashley is preparing for her birthday party slash sleepover and when the friends initially come over and, you know, it's talking about the pizzas that her dad went to go pick up the, you know, the next town over 20 minutes away because they live in this kind of podunk uh, farming community, you know, the pizzas that he's going to pick up. She decorates the barn out back with all of their Halloween decorations. You know, they're making plans for what they want to wear. Uh, they're putting on the makeup. Uh, you know, later in the story, they're getting, uh, or, you know, some of them anyway, who, uh, are getting snugly to watch some scary movies on television. During all of those moments, I had such a visceral, and I read this book pretty quickly, so it wasn't like I was taking my time with it and uh, savoring, you know, uh, the story so much. But even in that kind of quickly scanning slash reading mode, those passages just really sparked something in me where I actually found myself thinking like, wow, oh, that sounds like so much fun. I cannot wait to have a sleepover of my own. And then it was just like a big cold splash of reality where I realized, oh my God, I'm a 32-year-old man. I can't have sleepovers anymore. And I immediately got so, so depressed. So a credit to PJ Knight or whoever you are. You really sold me on how fun sleepovers are. And I kind of wish that, um, that I had the chance to relive one, maybe not this one in this particular story, but man, oh man, that sounds like a, a really fun time to be alive. Yeah. Well, I, um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I keep having this idea that I want to like buy a bar or a movie theater, whatever, and make it like 90s themed-ish. And one of my ideas for that was like, I would like to do a sleepover where it's like you just choose a theme for the night, um, like whether it be a TV show that you would binge or like a movie franchise, you know? And it would just be like, um, kind of like when those movie theaters do like the 24 hours of horror movies or whatever, um, but just have people show up with their pillows and their pajamas and just like hang out all Saturday night. Cause yes, I also would love 
I think now that I have a better sense of myself and um, better boundaries mm-hmm. that I can draw with people. So I'm not hanging out <laughs> with people that I uh, feel lesser than. I think adult me yeah. would love to have a sleepover and just, you know, or like there's something fun about uh, discovering like a video game and then just playing that for like hours on end or something, you know? So I miss that too. And getting back to what I was saying earlier about the way girls do sleepovers versus the way boys do sleepovers. I do think a really fun aspect um, of the book is the way that they get into the party game. Like a group of girls is always just like one, you know, a party game away from just becoming a coven of witches. It seems like, which I think is like more, (laughs) which I think sounds a lot more fun than, um, I don't know, being a boy and just like having to, punch each other or whatever, which I never quite (laughs) was masculine enough to. I had a feeling yesterday of like, uh, sometimes I do something around the house and I'm like, I am the most manly man. I installed the screen door the other day in our new place. And I was like, yes, I have a masculine macho swagger now. Um, But 98% of the rest of the time, I think I would rather be like playing on a Ouija board and drinking wine or whatever. Exactly. It's like we are just, uh, you know, we may appear a certain way on the outside, but inside we're like Brooklyn witches that just want to sip wine and summon some spirits. Yeah, it does. And that's a Desperate Housewives spinoff that's just aching to be made, I feel. (laughs) Like a hex in the city. You know what I mean? I feel it. Sure. Yeah, get on it. <laughs> okay, that should happen. That should, but it, should would happen. It, would it be a group of starring us? Okay, I was gonna say, would it be a group of adult men who are like, <laughs> I want to, you know, do my hair up and watch scary movies all night? Yeah, I mean, it just sounds so nice. Come on, we the we live in a brave new world. Anything's possible, maybe, so long as there's not a law against it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm totally for, I mean, I feel like as millennials, I think we're pretty, there are probably a lot of people our age who are on board with uh, adult sleepovers, but yes, anywho, like you said, um, I noted before in the Spooksville episode that uh, the books all have their own, like the chapter books that came out in the wake of Goosebumps all have their own variation on like the spooky chapter numbers and stuff. And this book has what I would describe as like kind of a vampire or mummy-esque font for the chapter headings. Um, like in terms of everything being like her, like a, what do you call it? A scimitar or something uh, with like the curved, like very sharp angles or points on these very curvy letters. Um, very like kind of monsters, I guess. And then across the top of the book, they have, Oh, Never mind. Across the top of the book, they have like blood dripping down in like elegant swirls and patterns. And as I was flipping through the book, I I tricked myself because I thought there's also a pool of blood at like the bottom of the pages. And I was I thought that um, initially that the the pool of blood got like deeper and deeper as the book went on, like so you could flip through it. But I was just uh, optical illusioning myself. It's the same level the whole way through. But some of the pages do have like a little splash beneath the 
page number as if to imply that like the blood dripped off the top of the book and is like falling into the bottom of the book. So I think that's a pretty neat touch. That is. That's just that's just having fun. Good for them. Well, in terms of the actual so, story, in the course, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what basically what I was going to get into. So you go. Okay. Yeah. So Ashley McDowell moves into this new town, and you already touched on a lot of the details, but I will say the setting for me was a plus ten out of ten. I love heat and corners. Um, I love the details, like the dad having to drive a town over to pick up a pizza. Uh, I grew up in Plainfield, Illinois, which is not as remote as Heaton Corners, but it was basically like it was basically like a farming rural community that was like gradually getting overtaken by suburbia when we moved there. Um, so it was like, you know, people I met who had lived there their whole lives would tell me like, oh yeah, this, when I was, you know, five years old, this place was like all cornfields and like one dirt road and one convenience store. By the time we got there, it was a lot more, um, I don't know if you call it gentrified, if it was all farmers that are getting like <laughs> uh, shoved out of their homes or whatever. Um, but it was just kind of this developed. place <laughs> developed. Sure. Um, but it was like, uh, it was like, if you go five minutes in any direction, you'll find a different type of, I don't know, township situation. Like there was plenty of cornfields hmm. and dirt roads but then you could also go like there's a Walmart across the street from like the dilapidated barn that's like falling apart in this abandoned field. And then there was like a really trendy downtown area. Like it got increasingly trendy, like right before I moved when I was uh, 30. I remember there was like a steakhouse that they built that had like um, glass columns that were like, you know, blue lighting it looked very much like something you would see in like Chicago or something. So I, it was, um, so, uh, what's my point? My point is that heat and corners, I think resonated with the part of me that enjoyed like walking around in the cornfields at, you know, midnight and like not worrying that somebody was going to jump out and murder you or whatever. Yeah. I was curious to get your feedback on the setting. Um, because, it uh the book definitely sparked in the same way that the the sleepover bits did i loved uh hearing about the town i loved hearing about their harvest festival mm-hmm. and uh the the abundance of all you know the local crops like the apples cuz the thing is um i've lived in florida pretty much my whole life that's where i currently live now and that type of stuff is so utterly foreign to me that it, it it was basically might as well be the stuff of dreams, which uh-huh. you know, for me it is. <laughs> um, just just because I I for the, for the longest time it wasn't until I was uh, in my sophomore year of high school that I act that I saw real snow for the first time. So autumn in its depiction in the book um, is is occupies that same space for me where it's almost kind of like this fantastical thing that I have only heard about or read about or seen in movies 
and I have never experienced it. So any time that there is a book that indulges in those seasonal trappings and just the season itself, it uh, it can't help but just stir this sense of desire and longing in me. I, I really crave the day that um, I can experience a proper autumn, you know, even if it's even if it's in Georgia, even if it's in Heaton Corners, you know, just one state up for me. Um, there have just been so many Halloweens where it is, it, it, it's just the weather is utter garbage here. It is just so stinking hot, um, which, you know, I've heard the I've heard conversely from folks that I've met who like live in who ha- who do live or who have lived in places like Wisconsin or Michigan and they're like oh yeah it usually snows on Christmas and or excuse me usually snows on around Halloween sometimes you know we'll get a little bit of snow and you can't go outside trick-or-treating unless you are also bundled up from head to toe it's like well that also sounds like it sucks <laughs> but um you know yeah I just long for the day where I can, you know, kind of like we were talking about in the Dollhouse Murders episode, I just want to be able to dig into an apple chiller (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, breathe, breathe in the wood smoke and, excuse me, and stroll through the leaves and do all the, you know, the basic, the basic bitch fall things, (laughs) basically, and just love every second of it. I, I await that day. Well, you're an adult now. You can move away from Florida. I can move away. It's easier said than done, especially when, uh, you know, you've got family hanging around and making you feel all guilty, Uh, um, either implicitly or explicitly. Illinois was not, we didn't get snow in October ever, that I remember anyway, Um, but you definitely had to like incorporate long sleeves into your costume. Which is not the worst thing, I it sounds like. No, I mean, it was fine. It was uh, one thing that I miss about Illinois, because I moved to Colorado when I was 30, and people in Colorado don't really decorate for Halloween. And it was like a pretty big thing where I lived in Illinois. Like people would have the full on, you know, like haunted house in their front yard that they made themselves. Um, And yeah, people don't even do like jack-o'-lanterns here. Although I will say, Probably my best Halloween memory as an adult, at least of Halloween that I stayed at home because Adana, my girlfriend, and I do tend to travel around Halloween um, because we just want to see, like, what would it be like in New Orleans on Halloween? Uh, And the best one was Salem, Massachusetts. We went in 2021, which is, like, exactly what, as an adult, I want Halloween to be. Because once I was too old to trick-or-treat, I never quite figured out you know, I wasn't popular enough to go to the parties where everybody was drinking and wearing sexy stuff. So, but Salem is like all of the adults who love Halloween because they just want to dress up as something really cool and scary. They all congregate in Salem on Halloween. So if you, uh, if you and your family ever want to like go rent a house up there on Halloween, we'll, cause there's like a million houses in like Sleepy Hollow or, I mean, Sleepy Hollow, obviously I know that's in New York. Or um, in like between Boston and Salem, there are all these like gigantic palatial houses, like 
you know, four bedrooms or whatever. And it's like, I would love that, but I can't pay $500 a night. So. Yeah. See, I've heard uh, great things about the, the vibe and the atmosphere and the events that go on in Salem at that time. Um, I've also heard that it is an utter bear <laughs> to, to be there as far as traffic and just, you know, massive people. So I'm curious, yeah, we're the, this podcast is turning into a travelogue. Won't you join us? Um, we'll get back to the book. Sure. We promise. Uh, but what was, we can even cut this part out. I don't care. Um, but uh, what was your yeah, experience probably. like as far as that was concerned? Well, we went in 2021. So I think the population was somewhat down from a normal Halloween because of reasonable Everybody dead concerns from COVID. that people had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, people were all packed together the entire time and nobody was wearing a mask, which I wasn't either. So I'm not criticizing everybody else, but I think we were all just kind of like, whatever, this is worth dying for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, if I had to, this is where I want. But I like for me, the crowds of people were like, it was fine because it wasn't it wasn't like rowdy or I don't know. It wasn't like a giant party atmosphere. It was just people really enjoying the atmosphere of all being together, everybody being in costume. You know, it wasn't crazy in any way because I I don't love being in crowds when they're all crazy. Um, and it was funny because my girlfriend was all proud of herself because we stayed at a hotel in Boston and there's like a, a commuter rail or whatever that goes from Boston to um, uh, Salem. And she bought us like weekend, you know, uh, what's this service called? Uh... Public transit. <laughs> she oh. bought us like weekend <laughs> passes for the tr uh, train. And then... So we went to the Boston station and she was like, these were only like $10 or whatever they were. Can you believe it? And we sat there for like an hour at the station waiting for the train to come in. And then the train comes and keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking to the other people there and they were like, yeah, I, I think the train is just too full from all the previous stops. So we're all going to Uber there. And we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so as far as the traffic goes, I mean, it was like a 40 minute drive. Um, I don't know. Like we, once we got to Salem, we just walked everywhere cause there wasn't anything that we needed to drive to. So I didn't have any problems with the traffic either. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely a bucket list item though, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll anyway, to get back to my, sorry. Yeah. Anything in the Midwest. I'll close the loop on my. Cause I started by saying my favorite memory of Halloween where I stayed at home because Salem is probably my favorite memory overall. But, um, October of 2020 was, we did like a social distancing trick or treat where we had like a tube on the porch and, uh, Adana's mom was living in this house at the time. So she would like, she was sitting on the porch and whatever people would come up, she would like put a piece of candy in the tube and it would like roll down and they would like catch it in their bucket. And we had Adana bought like a digital projector. So we watched Hocus Pocus outside, like in the yard while all the kids were walking around in their um, Halloween costumes. And it was, 
it was like the most people that I've ever seen out on Halloween. Like, I think probably because of people just being like, I need to get out of the house because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'd been living in lockdown for six months. Um, so it's funny because like, it's the inverse of living in Illinois where it was like, nobody had decorated, which they do in Illinois, but also we got so many more trick-or-treaters than I'd ever gotten when living in Illinois. So anyway, that was my boring story. No, no, not at all. I mean, that's the other depressing thing about Florida, or at least, you know, my neighborhood. Unless you live, it seems like, I don't know if this is true of other states, other regions, but it's like, unless you live in a, um, like a gated community or the equivalent thereof, you're not seeing any trick-or-treaters in any kind of uh, quantity. Because uh, that's what everybody does. They go to the gated communities where the houses are closely knit and, you know, the, the mm-hmm. communities kind of like go all out, you know, to a certain extent. Um, at least some houses do enough to make it feel like an event so that, yeah, you can just walk from house to house to house and, and get your fill of candy. Um, I was shocked, though, because last year we actually got three or four groups at our door for trick or treating. And that's about three or four more than we usually do in my neighborhood. And my neighborhood is not like desolate of people. There are other young families that live around here. Um, but that just adds to the overall <laughs> bummerness of, of Halloween where I live. You know, not only is it hot as hell, um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't seem, it doesn't appear at least residentially where I am that there's anybody out there celebrating the spirit of the occasion. So it's very, very sad. Uh, very much in the same yeah. way that it was sad for Ashley in heat and corners. Oh. See, I'm, I'm bringing, bringing it, back. it back to the I'm book. Back. Yep. <laughs> I guess I'm done talking about my personal Halloween memories anyway. No, um, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off. You can, you can jump in or, you know, find a creative way to, to rope it in to our next uh, course of discussion. Um, as far as the uh, book is concerned... Let me concerned, ask you this, though. Oh, go, go, go. You. So we talked about um, there's a reason why Heat and Corners doesn't do Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you figure out exactly what the curse was? Um, I didn't, honestly. So, oh, yeah, by the way, there's a curse. Well, let me, t- let me, let me tell you this. And maybe this just says more about me than PJ Knight's abilities as an author or um, her preoccupations as an author. I So first, let me lay it out for you, dear listener. So what ends up happening is that Ashley goes out trick-or-treating with her friends, uh, all garbed up as they promised, as they planned, and they come across other trick-or-treaters, uh, but they seem odd. They're not really talking all that much, and the costumes they wear are very, very realistic. Like, the first pair that they run into is um, a child dressed up in kind of like an old-school devil costume, and another child who's dressed up as a bat. Uh, And the child who's carrying, or excuse me, the child who's dressed up as the devil is carrying a jack-o'-lantern that's emitting this very sulfurous smoke from uh, from its carved face. And the child that's dressed as a bat, um, I thought it was 
pretty pretty cool i i kind of love this whole sequence the whole trick-or-treating sequence because i felt like it gelled it built up genuine unease and foreboding in me in the sense that i really didn't know where it was going to go i didn't know what was going to happen to ashley and her friends um because it seemed like some some heavy some heavy stuff was about to go down uh because basically they come to find that well or suspect or feel they just get a bad feeling from all these kids they keep running into they're not really talking like kids they're kind of talking in this dazed fashion they run into a witch and a werewolf near their junior high slash high school and the witch you know it seems like she you know it's not a mask it's like really her skin that looks so warty and her fingers really seem genuinely gnarled and long and clawed and you know she's talking cryptically about oh i used to like soft things like this costume that you're wearing and (laughs) we'll see you soon you know it's genuinely creepy pretty things Um, but let me no, she said soft things. I do remember that. Oh, really? Because I, <laughs> I thought, because I thought more. it was creepy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I thought it was creepy. I'm like, damn, that's good. Nice PJ night. Um, and then we, uh, Ashley has seen a couple times up until this point a strange symbol that seems to crop up around the town. Oh. Shut up for a which, second. Uh, yep. Go ahead. You read it. We were both right. She says, mm. I always liked pretty things, soft things. Look at that, Go soft on. pretty things. That's an album title right there. Um, so Ashley has seen the symbol crop up on a number of occasions, first on her uh, mailbox post, then on a door uh, inside the town's general store that at first looks like it's an eight laying down the number eight laying down but then she comes to realize it's uh and they don't refer to it as this but uh i believe the term is the ouroboros the snake eating its own tail yep yep yeah well it's the infinity symbol that's been like crossed with ouroboros because it has the middle part okay so yeah it's like a it's a hybrid of the two um mm-hmm. and at first, the symbolism or the meaning of this sigil, this this symbol, is is not known. Um, but yeah, that the whole sequence with you know the trick or treaters out on the street at first, and then Ashley goes up to the house of a boy that she has a crush on, like oh let's go trick or treat at Joey's house, and she knocks on the door, and Joey answers the door, and he's covered, not not exactly tattooed, just like painted with this symbol on at the very least his head i don't don't know if it was this said it was like covering his body or covering his face and arms but at the very least there's one right on his forehead and then his stepmother comes screaming running at the door saying no 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 and she slams the door shut on ashley and her trick-or-treating friends and that whole that whole sequence is really effectively done and like i said it just really um sets you ill at ease for what the heck is going on here so i'm gonna pause and let you talk about that part because i feel like i hogged it all yeah two things um one it is maybe important to note that joey earlier on overheard that 
Ashley was planning on trick-or-treating and he like got really angry and was like, no, nobody does that here. You can't do that. And Ashley was like, well, I thought I had a crush on you, but I guess you're just a big old jerk. Um, so Joey clearly knows something about the uh, insidious nature of Halloween heat and corners. And the other thing, oh, the other thing was, yes, I do. I thought that this book did a really good job, especially in that trick-or-treating sequence of, um, we talk a lot about like when stuff horror for kids makes concessions to the fact that they're writing for kids. And so you wind up with something that's like, feels a little too, I don't know, like goopy or just not. uh, Yeah. Tepid. But I think the best, yeah, tepid. Um, I think the best solution is just to go full on creepy and seeing a bunch of kids who look like they're like kind of frozen in time with their like old timey Halloween costumes that are becoming real. Cause I love those old, you know, you see those like old photos shared on like tumblers or whatever of like terrifying old back when costumes were made out of like paper mache and stuff. And you see yeah, this just burlap like masks. grainy old. Yeah. They're so creepy and terrifying. <laughs> um, and I kind of want to bring that back. Actually, if I ever go to Salem again, right? maybe I'll make my own like paper mache creepy mask. Cause I love those old, the atmosphere of those old photos. So I think that was a really good decision by uh, the apparently unreal PJ Knight. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming. Because it was like, yeah, yeah. Because it was like, nobody's getting killed here, but it's it hits that creep factor really nicely that's like age appropriate, but still makes me as an adult be like, ugh. Yeah, like it felt dangerous, but not in a way like, I don't think that these kids are going to be killed by any means, but what they're encountering feels like there is genuine danger here. Like they're, they're getting involved in something and that, that kind of goes along with some of my disappointment about some of the revelations that come about later in the story. Well, we can go ahead and talk about that. I mean, I don't know that I have, Oh, I will say you talked about the harvest and um, there is a small town fair in this book, like the carnivals come into town and that's where Ashley goes to meet up with her uh, potential uh, or her crush that she hopes will become more than a crush, Joey. And that's another thing that I love. That's another trope that I love is like a a date or a meeting somebody that you hope will be a date at a small town carnival. <laughs> wow, that's right on the head. PJ Knight knew who she was writing for. Yeah, he or she. Because mm-hmm. in the About the Author section, they take pains to not use any. It's just like PJ Knight, the author. <laughs> um, we've been sworn to keep PJ's identity a secret, and it's a secret we will take to our graves. So that's fun. AKA, uh, we had to sign some non disclosure agreements. You don't want to get involved in all of that legalese, though. So we're going to present it in a fun way yeah. for you. <laughs> It's funny because I saw the name PJ Knight and I was like, do I remember that name from like a short story in the Bruce Coville's book of series? Um, But I think I must just be thinking of some other author with initials. Yeah, they're kind of popular, especially when it comes to this content. Wouldn't you say? First initials. Yeah, first and middle initials followed by monosyllable 
last name. Um, Anywho. But anyway, I will say, um, I figured out, I mean, I don't know if you want to go chronologically. I'm not going that way. Um, Yeah, I don't care. I figured out that the, I figured out that the danger was that the costumes were going to become real when, um, I think Mary Beth is the one dressed up as a vampire. And at some point when they're trick-or-treating, she says something and Ashley's like, oh, wow, you sound a lot better because she has like the plastic vampire fangs. And Ashley's like, oh, you can talk a lot better with those fangs. I guess you're just getting used to them. And I was like, no, they're becoming real. That's what's going on. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good because I, I didn't... I- I didn't uh I didn't clue into that as early as you did. I think it was right around the time that um Danielle, who's dressed as a skeleton, it talked about how uh she had contorted herself yes. into her hiding spot <laughs> yeah. and how her bones and how her bones were creaking. Oh yeah. All, again, really creepy. Really creepy in an unexpected way. Um that was creepy, but it was also kind of funny because nobody reacts to it as being creepy at the moment. In the moment, they're all just like, "Oh, Danielle, you scamp." Well, honestly, that whole sequence too. So we have, you know, the sequence out outside trick or treating when the girls return back to the barn and start playing their games. That whole sequence I thought was handled well, in the sense that. Um, just seemed to have a kind of eerie dream logic to all to all mm-hmm. the events that were happening like this feels like something that you would have a dream of happening to you and your friends but and and the, and the fact that that here are these girls having a sleepover but it's not in the house proper where you know the uh responsible adults coming to the rescue are it's in this separate building it's in a barn i don't know for me it just kind of made it feel isolated in that sense they are isolated from help they're kind of in the jaws of this seemingly cosmic magical transformation that they can't do anything to stop it's just the you know the wheels are kind of inexplicably or uh not inexplicably they're inevitably turning and they really just have no sense of what's going on, but uh, you know, PJ Knight doesn't like waste our time with all of those kind of uh, questions that you know authors make their characters say the things that they think the audience is thinking. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> Why don't we call the police? But um, I, I found I found the whole like transformation part during the the sleepover to to be unsettling like it was also really well handled well yeah danielle turns into a skeleton because she's dressed as a skeleton stephanie i honestly don't really remember what happens to stephanie i just remember she disappears at some point yeah she just kind of up and vanishes uh no pun intended because she's the one she's dressed as the bride that they do slide as a feather stiff as a board and she does genuinely yeah. levitate uh at one point but <laughs> Ashley kind of like pulls her back down to earth. But then after that, yeah, she just ups and like pops out of existence. Yeah. I've been praising the book so much. I want to level that with a little bit of nitpicking. Um, Ooh, me too. I think a little would have gone a long way. (laughs) Okay, great. I think a little would have gone a long way in the levitating scene because this way it plays out is like Stephanie, they like look up and Stephanie's levitating like five feet above everybody's head or whatever. Um, 
I feel like they could have done just like some, I don't know, some little thing that would have been a little bit like uncanny as opposed to like something that's like impossible to explain, you know? Yeah. Like maybe um, something distracts, like maybe there's a loud sound and like all the girls look over like, oh, what was that? And then they turn back and realize they're not holding Stephanie anymore, but she's still exactly where she they left her <laughs> in midair. I don't know. Something like that. I don't need to be rewriting other people's stuff. No, yeah. I, no, I think you're right, though. Just something where it's like, it felt like, you know, she left our fingers or whatever. And then they, they're thinking back on it later and they're like, that couldn't have been real, right? Like, we're just making that up or something. Yeah. Anyway, but just like an inch or two instead of like, whoa, she's up on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So um, but uh, I'm you, okay. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if you're okay, I don't really have that much else to say. So I was just going to talk about like the rest of the story. Do you want to say more about the sleepover part? No, not about the sleepover part. Um, like I said, um, you alluded to like the whole curse aspect of it. And that's um, uh-huh. like really where the brunt of my uh, critiques are nestled. So okay. um, if you kind of want to, ca- if you want to uh, catch us up to pace and then, you know, I can offer my comments on, on that part. Yeah. So the sleepover culminates with all three girls uh, disappearing from the party at various times. Um, and Mary Beth, who's dressed as a vampire, uh, starts to say, like, I'm so thirsty. Can you get me some water? And then Ashley gets her some water, and then she, like, Mary Beth tastes it, and she spits it out. She's like, no, I don't want that. And Ashley's like, uh, what about juice? What about milk? And Ashley's, and Mary Beth is like, oh, that all just sounds disgusting, but I'm so thirsty. Please help me. And then... um Eh, she becomes a vampire, basically. <laughs> so Ashley runs upstairs because at this point they moved out of the barn into the, I think, basement maybe to watch scary movies. Um, and so Mary Beth is like, you know, Benny Hill style chasing Ashley around the table and stuff like, I'm going to bite your neck. And then Ashley runs upstairs and wakes up her mom. And then when her mom comes downstairs, Mary Beth has also disappeared. So Ashley is like, uh, I guess all my friends in Heaton Corners don't really like me because they all ditched me at my Halloween sleepover. And then, um, I don't know, I forget the details, but it's not really that important. She realizes the curse is real. So she, or she's like looking for her friends. And then like over the course of the next week or whatever, um, the teachers at school are like, oh no, those three girls, their families all moved away. And Ashley's like, what? They all three just moved away? And the teacher's like, yeah, I guess being a farmer just isn't the life for everybody. Um, And she goes and looks at their houses and sees that they're all like, it looks like they just left. Like nothing's moved. Nothing's packed up. There's like food on all the dishes that are like stacked up in the sink and stuff. Like it is like they just all evaporated. Um, So then she goes to this, uh, I don't remember if you touched on, what's her name? Miss Bernice or whatever her name is. Um, who works at the local uh, convenience store. And she earlier warned Ashley, like, you don't want to go trick-or-treating, little girl. And uh, Ashley was like, ha, 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 just give me some marshmallow pumpkins, old lady. And then um, so she goes back to her now uh, because she's like, I think that lady is the only person who actually knows what's going on in this whole town because she's old. And so she and Joey go over to the general store and um, get like handed a 
whole um, written document that's like, Miss Bernice is like, I can't tell you anything, but here, read this. And then Joey's like, oh, I don't like reading. Um, and then it like outlines the whole story of the curse and how it came to be. Do you want to tell that part? Because it seems like that was the basis of your <sighs> critique. Yeah, I'd say. Um, I would say that this whole section of the book, with the ex- with the exception of, um, I'd say maybe the final note, I was not the biggest fan of just the promise of um, all of that eeriness and unease that's packed into the trick-or-treating sequence and the sleepover sequence. I feel like it, you know, as is the case in um, narratives like this, you know, horror narratives, especially where you're building up all this mystique and all these questions, the answering of the questions just kind of fumbles the ball. uh, and, And I feel like it kind of fumbled the ball here with this book. First of all, may I say, now I know that this book was not written for me, a 32-year-old person. Uh, it was written for a much younger audience who have not been exposed, um, for the most part, to narratives like this in the abundance that I have over my three decades on this earth. Having said that, let me just say how utterly tired I am of curses. <laughs> I am so tired of curses and curses of this nature. Basically the written you know, uh the the written oral history that Bernice has in this book, which is hysterical because she's like, here, I don't have the strength to tell you about what happened. Read it. The kids read it. And then Bernice just goes on and starts talking to them about it she's like oh yeah so anyway it's like well fuck why couldn't you just tell us in the beginning what was the point (laughs) of giving us this book um but anyway as the story goes back during the depression 1931 there was a local girl um a local family the snowdens who managed to remain pretty well off despite like everybody else in the town living hard scrabble lives and their daughter, whose name I've already forgotten because I don't care. I think it was Charlotte. She uh, she just lorded her wealth and her privilege over all the other kids. You know, shoved her uh, luxurious lifestyle in their faces anytime she could. And uh, that was um, expressed a lot during Halloween, particularly one year, 1931, when she actually had a genuine dressmaker come to the house and design her Halloween costume. She wanted to be a snake charmer, and they had this special order, a a stuffed or a a toy uh, snake for her to to wear and and to perform with for... uh, to go along with her ensemble. Well, the local kids, you know, all these poor Dust Bowl-esque farmer families were just so fed up with Charlotte's uh, selfish ways that they thought, hey, you know what's going to be a really great way to get back at Charlotte that's totally not going to come back and bite us in the ass, pardon my pun, is let's replace her toy snake with a real snake. And that they do, and it scares the pants off Charlotte. Ha! Everybody gets a big laugh out of that. 
But, oh no, Charlotte's not screaming because she's terrified. I mean, yes, she is, but she's also been bitten by this snake, which is, guess what, poisonous. And before you know it, she's (laughs) on the ground, writhing around, foaming at the mouth, and then she's just dead. Dead from a snake bite. Um, Now, I'm not a herpetologist, so I can't tell you if there is a snake in existence that renders that effect as immediately as it sounded like it did in the story, I feel like snake bites, even the most poisonous ones would have at least a little bit more of a lingering effect. And there would be at least a little bit of time, uh, to attempt saving this person's life. But it sounds like it's a pretty instantaneous. Yep. She got bit and then she fell down and she died. Um, so that right there is like, mm, lazy, uh, don't care for that. Yes, I agree with you. But also I think I've learned to just kind of swallow that because, uh, like a snake, you might say, <laughs> um, uh-huh. I read a book a while ago called, uh, poison, a memoir. I think the author's name is Gail Bell or something like that. Um, and it's a book that's like, it's a really, actually, it's a really good book if anybody's interested in poison, um, because she's like relating an incident that happened in her family that may or may not have been a murder. So she's kind of investigating that. And then through that story, she talks about all the various kinds of poisons and, um, you know, their effects and stuff like that. But one of the points that she makes in the book that always stuck with me, because I read it like 10 years ago, was she talks about how like movies, when somebody gets poisoned in a movie, they're just like, and they fall over, you know, and it's like, they just kind of go to sleep or whatever. And she's like, no, there's no poison that does that. (laughs) That's poison is like, it's prolonged. It's agonizing. You're like vomiting up blood. (laughs) Mm. So every time I see a poisoning in a movie now, uh, uh, that's just like somebody like starting to shake and then dropping the teacup and then just like and then falling over on a couch or something i'm like bullshit (laughs) (laughs) the only movie i ever saw that got it right is um the hateful eight does a really good poisoning scene where everybody is just like vomiting up blood (laughs) wow i never finished watching that past the the first like 10 minutes that's just because oh yeah that's that's my life it wasn't like oh this movie sucks um yeah so maybe it's a very divisive I'll, i'll get to enjoy that yeah, it seems like it is. Yeah, but I, I think it's one of my favorite Tarantinos, but a lot of people think it's like one of his worst. So, you know, hmm. whatever. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. You can't please all the people, just like you can't poison all the people as quickly as you want to. So anyway, Charlotte uh, dies. And guess what, folks? That's the genesis of the curse right there. And it's just... I. <laughs> As if this wasn't bad enough that we have to deal with this kind of curse, it's told to us. All of this is told to us that now the reason that we don't celebrate Halloween and we don't go out trick-or-treating is because Charlotte, the spirit of Charlotte, who has not made any appearance whatsoever in any way throughout this entire story, oh, we're pegging all of this on her. This is her doing. This is Charlotte taking her revenge. Because if anybody dares go out trick-or-treating on Halloween night, they are doomed to, first of all, vanish from this reality and to only reappear on successive Halloween nights 
and as happened to uh, Ashley's new trio of friends, to become the the costumes that they were wearing at the time that they went trick-or-treating. So to become all these misshapen creatures and miscreants. Uh, and to only reappear once every year on Halloween night on an endless trick-or-treating route in hell, basically. Uh, all of the, or most of the houses in the and Corners leave out candy. Uh, and I guess that that was a nice touch in the sense that, you know, it harkens back to, you know, the origins of the holiday itself. You know, the whole trick-or-treating concept came from, you know, offerings being left outside uh, people's houses to kind of ward off evil spirits or spirits of the dead to be like, hey, you know, um, we realize you're dead. Don't don't eat us. Eat, eat these soul cakes instead that we've baked for you, please. Um, so that was kind of a nice play on that. I did enjoy that. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit to, to go to just say that my, my anticipation and my expectation probably naively, given that this is a middle grade book for, you know, kids was that I, I just got much more of a cosmic, hellish vibe from what was happening during the trick-or-treating sequence that I just did not really anticipate or wanted to pan out to be uh, just, just like a run-of-the-mill, lazy, curse kind of uh, storyline that we ended up getting. Because not only, oh, kid dies very quickly... And now this this is the reason why everybody like like what like so just because they die and now their ghost is around they have the power to basically warp reality. So how would you have um, if you were the writer if you were tasked to be PJ Knight? I really how would you? Have? I really wanted this to just be kind of like an inexplicable thing that you know. Is is was not so. That was not so specific to one person or even one event, especially the one we ended up getting. Like I could just, if they even just went the general route of saying like this is cursed land, and this is something that has always happened here, you know, just the fact that they try to, like, it's kind of similar to um. There's there's a trope in horror narratives that I don't really care for um, that you see in like... Did you see the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark movie? Yes, that's what I was thinking of when you were saying, oh, do we really need more stories about curses? I hate this thing. Like, it wasn't quite the case in this one, but I hate this thing. It happened um, in, a, in a graphic novel... Um, a scary graphic novel for kids that I, that I read a little while ago where um, like in scary stories to tell in the dark, it's like, Oh, this, um, <clears throat> this outcast, um, you know, the social outcast is um, persecuted and what's the word I'm looking for is accused of being a witch, basically. This uh, horrible creature that has the power to do terrible things to people. But as it turns out, it's just like 
you know, a family trying to get somebody out of the way or a mob mentality taking over. And it's like, oh, that persecuted person wasn't really a witch. But then the mob or the terrible family do something terrible to that person. And then that person basically becomes a witch slash becomes a monster and wrecks their vengeance <laughs> on, you know, the descendants of whoever or the town as a whole. And that kind of thing just makes me shake my head like, well, why couldn't they just be a witch or a monster to start with? Like, why are we playing these games? You know, why, why are you giving me the runaround where it's like, oh, no, it was, you know, it was society that was the real monster. Okay, but well, now look at what they're doing. It's like, what, what fucking difference would it have made? Like, okay, I guess you're trying to make a point, but I find it really irritating. And, you know, it's also not great. Like, it's... It's like, well, this person had something terrible happen to them, so clearly now you understand why they made a pact with the devil <laughs> to slaughter, like, an entire lineage or an entire town. It's like, that kind of sounds worse than what happened to them. So I'm not really sure who you are wanting or expecting me to align my sympathies with here, because this is all bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, did you yeah. get that feeling at all? Um, I get that feeling sometimes. I will say uh, Paranorman kind of does that, but I remember really liking mm, Paranorman. Mm -hmm. So maybe I just saw that before I started getting witch fatigue or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, well, it's not quite the same, because, but like there are so many like Italian horror movies from the 60s and 70s where it starts out with the flashback, you know, everybody wearing these like party city medieval costumes and then they like bring the witch out and then the, they always give the witch time to be like in the name yes. of Satan, I place a curse. And it's like, no, just kill her before she talks. <laughs> You're yeah, creating like, problems don't... down the line. Scary stories was probably the first time that it bothered me in that, because I think it, maybe for me, it's the difference between using that as what, I guess it would be the opposite of a deus ex machina, like as an origin story just as a plot point versus having the movie thematically be about that thing. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of what it felt like in, in Creepover is that like, yeah, there's no depth to Charlotte Snowden as a character and maybe there could have been, but that's not what the book is about. So, so it did just kind of feel like, uh, we just wrote this down on a toilet paper roll to explain the history of this town. Here you go. Bye. Really? That is, it felt so rushed. While at the same time that, you know, everything post Halloween night in, in the book kind of felt like it also dragged. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, we, we know they're, they're not really, that they didn't really move away. Um, it's like, oh, we have to go through all these motions. So what if, let me ask you this, because um, I think it was last year I rewatched Trick or Treat with mm. my girlfriend because she'd never seen it and she wanted to... She was like, I've been seeing my girlfriend crochets and she's like in with the crochet community. And she was like, I keep seeing this Sam Hain that people are crocheting. Do you know what that's from? And I was like, well, let me educate you, <laughs> my sweet little darling, like the patronizing ass that I am. Um, but anyway, so we rewatched Trick or Treat and I kept thinking as I was reading uh, No Trick or Treating, maybe because of the similar title, I kept thinking of the segment where, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the segment where they're like pranking the girl who dresses up as a witch, but they 
give you the backstory of the kids in the costume, like before the actual stuff happens. Um, Do you think if they had done something more structurally like that in this book, it would have worked better for you? Like instead of building up to it? Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, like it, it was, it was trying to play it off as a mystery to be solved. But when you have like so much rich material just in, like we said, the trick or treating sequences, the transformation sequences, that is enough to fuel your engine. You don't have to play these games of who's leaving the strange sigils behind and where did this uh, mysterious necklace come from? I thought it was from my sister, but it's it was sent to me yeah. by somebody else. Um, that was an interesting point, too, you know, especially because because that's that's never really pays off right anyway. I, I was gonna say you know miss bernice actually tosses it off as like oh that sign doesn't do anything to ward off evil spirits <laughs> if anything it just tells you who in the town believes in the curse and who doesn't and, but then i thought to myself well then why do you have it on the door to your creepy little room back there well bearing that in mind because you could cut out all the miss bernice story and still have the same epilogue that you actually get at the end of uh, this creep over. Um, how did you feel about that? <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> um, so having said all that about, well, I did not care for the story to pan out this way. You know, honestly, anything I would have skipped from like Halloween night to when they arrive <laughs> at the general store and skip the part with the book. Don't care about the town's, you know, history, archives, historical archives. Um, just get to the part or yeah, just like cut, cut that out entirely. You know, like when Ashley first encounters Miss Bernice back at the general store, Miss Bernice just kind of like realizes what happened, that Ashley was essentially the cause for her friend's disappearance because she didn't realize just what powers were at play here in Heaton Corners. I would have loved it if that whole last chapter, instead of being like an explanation for this dumbass curse origin story, instead if it was just them talking to each other, like this is just how it works here. You know, the spirit realm gets close to the living realm on Halloween night. And this was a lesson that I learned decades ago when I took my own friends out and now I'm here as a survivor and I visit them every year and there's nothing you can do about it. That would have been perfect for me. That would have been perfect because I do think the way it ended was actually really brave and different Mm -hmm. uh, for like, I was surprised that it ended on such a bummer. Um, did I need it to flash forward to old Ashley at the general store? No, I didn't. Um, I could have done without that. But just her leaving the general store and like hearing the whispers of her friends telling her that they miss her and like seeing like I thought um, when she sees like she's like at Danielle's house and she sees like the flash of the skeleton around the corner, like peeking out from around the corner. That immediately made me think of um Laughing in the dark. Overrated. Sorry. Um, but, you know, like with the Zebos, with Zebos cigar smoke coming from around the corner of the house. Cigar smoke? Mm. 
that's what it made me think of but i thought that was so creepy because it was like this broad daylight moment where oh i think i see my skeleton friend but then she just kind of flits right out of existence again um that would have been the perfect ending to this story for me if it just kind of ended with a conversation between miss bernice and ashley about you just this is something terrible that's happened. There's nothing that anybody can do about it. And you just kind of have to learn to live with it. Kind of like uh, our friend, the Babadook that we talked about in the previous episode. You just have to learn to yeah. live with this. It's not going away. Um, and then just her kind of walking solemnly back to her farmhouse with the ghosts of her friends, you know, whispering to her. That would have been the perfect ending for me. I didn't need all the extra crap. Yeah, I like that because then you could make... Ashley's first encounter with Miss Bernice. Miss Bernice could have like the reputation of being like the town kook, like, ah, she's the old lady runs a general store. And then Ashley comes in and she's like, seemed like she's in the back room and you hear her speaking. And then Ashley goes back there and is like, there's nobody in here. Who are you talking to? And Miss Bernice is like, oh, nobody. And then at the end of the book, she goes back to Miss Bernice and she's like, I know who you were talking to. Mm, yeah. See, that's my pitch. Why aren't these agents and editors tapping us to write these books? I don't know. I think of that every single time I read a YA book. I'm serious. I'm always like, I could cut out 200 pages of this for you, tell you uh, what these relationships need in order to have chemistry between these two romantic leads, tell you how to make the plot actually work, tell you how to structure it so it doesn't just seem like a whole bunch of crap happening that doesn't have any coherence but you know <laughs> that's just not our lives right now maybe one day but yeah i like the <laughs> i like the idea of miss bernice being a tragic figure instead of just like just like having the encounter with her where like she does the same thing that like every other adult has done and be like don't you celebrate halloween i'm warning you yeah the foreboding old person yeah, she could like try to warn them and Ashley doesn't take her seriously because she thinks she's crazy. And then after all the shit goes down, she's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that kind of made me think kind of like a, a Home Alone turn. <laughs> sure. <laughs> da, da, you know da, it's da. true. Oh, wait. Yeah. Is that the Grinch? I, was, I think I got the Home Alone da, with the da, Yahoo da, Doran. Da, but... da, da. Yeah, that one. Yeah, she okay. looks out the anyway. window where it uh, snows in Halloween and heat in corners and sees old Miss Bernice trudging along with her pack of demon friends behind her. Yeah, <laughs> da, da, and, her, and, all, and all her cats instead of pigeons. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, that's no trick-or-treating, I think. That's yeah. the book right there, as I live and breathe. Um, overall, I would say I enjoyed it. Um, mm -hmm. I think I might give another creep over a try. I think I might see what uh, what else PJ Knight has in store. Pajama Knight. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the strength of it was definitely the atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. And because this says it's a super scary, super special, I wonder if the regular books, because this one clocks in at um, 191 pages. So I wonder if the other books in the series are like more goosebumps length, like 110 to 120. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's the creep over version of a super chiller, right? Oh, I had something I wanted to say, though. Um, 
because I feel like I owe our audience at least one hot take per episode. Oh boy. So uh, my hot take today is um, I don't think John Carpenter's Halloween is a very good Halloween movie. Sorry. Mm. But uh, I said I, I thought about trick or treat a lot while reading this book. I also thought about the moment in the Halloween franchise that to me is the most evocative of the atmosphere of Halloween, which is the opening credits to Halloween four. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You're nodding along. I've, I've seen them shared uh, across multiple like Facebook friends pages, like nothing lives up to <laughs> like in, in this movie or in some cases, other Halloween set movies, nothing lives up to this opening credit sequence from the fourth movie. Man, that's absolutely true. Yeah, it's just atmospheric shots of like the wind blowing over like cornfields and farmlands and abandoned barns at like sunset. And there's like the silhouette of a weather vane and a close up of a scarecrow and just like, uh, you know, pumpkins. Just chilling on a tractor. Yeah. Know. Yeah. And it's like, this is to me, it's like, this is what heat and corners looks like in around Halloween time. It's like, Perfect encapsulation, so. Yes. Anyway. I would say that is true of the first Halloween movie, though. Um, I would say that for me, um, for whatever this is worth, this is going to sound strange. A lot of people, myself included, you know, when you want to get the Halloween vibes, you you seek out uh, either in, you know, IRL in real life, you know, Halloween decorations that kind of explicitly call to that holiday, reference that holiday. Same for movies that deal in it, you know, trick or treat versus John Carpenter's Halloween. As far as like decorations and atmosphere go, it's, you know, not a, it's not a close match whatsoever. But um, I will say that in John Carpenter's Halloween, this probably sounds strange, but I have these vivid memories and associations that I make with the autumn time for whatever that's worth here in Florida. But I have specific memories tied to the autumn time that have that, that basically boil down to, to be succinct about it, darkened houses. Um, not exactly in like a skin of a rink <laughs> uh, fashion, more like just like the setting sun, overcast skies. Um, I have this memory of reading a novelization. I had these uh, a pair of two Universal Monster novelizations, like paperback uh, for kids, one of Dracula and one of the Wolfman. And I just have vivid memories of reading those in the living room of one of our houses and uh, smelling my grandfather's cologne as he was getting ready to go out dancing and hearing Roy Orberson on his record player. And, and it was just that was autumn time. And so now I also associate Roy Orberson's voice with the autumn time. Just the house being kind of naturally lit by the setting sun and seeing the shadows creep in the corners, that makes me think of autumn. And I think um, that vibe is pulled off very well during the latter half of John Carpenter's Halloween. Like, a sp like I just think of the shot of, you know, Michael at the top of the stairs and you basically can't like see any, any part of him except, you know, just a vague outline because the shadows are creeping everywhere. And for some reason that just more than like the, 
the fire hued leaves or you know the little kids out with their buckets saying trick or treat that encapsulates the autumn for me and i guess that's indic- indicative of the fact that i have had such shitty autumns <laughs> here i have nothing else to go on except just you know the nights kind of creeping in like that so there there you have it there you go yeah maybe it's just maybe i just have a bug up my butt about it cuz i was actually Raised in Illinois and Halloween, you know, supposedly takes place in Illinois and looks nothing like Illinois in autumn. So I'm like, fuck this movie. What? You don't have palm trees in Illinois? Ah, you got me. Yeah. (laughs) Every street corner has a palm tree. Uh, When you're hiding from the cops, you know, you carry one in front of you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Good cover. Good cover. Well, I would say that um, we'd probably place this one in the uh, in the time capsule. Yes, for future reference, future. Oh, do we still do that? Only to <laughs> do we still do that? I don't know. I mean, we uh, we enjoyed the book, it. folks. Is there really is there really more you need to know? Yeah, we had this thing where we'd say we'd either stick it in a time capsule for you know future enjoyment and reference, or we'd just put it back in the bargain bin where we got it from. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious to maybe check out at least one other creep over from PJ nine and see how it stacks up to this one. But um, I would say for our purposes, you know, this being an October episode, I think it, I think it got the job done as far as giving us those, those precious Halloweeny vibes. Halloweeny. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't Mr. Ghost get Mrs. Ghost pregnant? Stop it. Had a Halloween. Stop it. Yeah. Bringing it back to my intro that I'm keeping in, even though you told me to only do the other one. Well, that's it for us, folks. We have some kind of uh, sign-off? Okay. (laughs) That's the sign-off. That's the sign-off. My my being tired of these (laughs) terrible Halloween-y jokes. That's it. That's what's doing it for us. Bring back adult creepovers, millennials. Mm. Also, uh, check out our Instagram, Black Magic Treehouse Pod, and email us if you have memories. Halloween books or something like magic treehouse pod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.